I'd like to acknowledge that I work on mum in development on Garrigal land and that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Also, a heads up that this episode contains some swearing for any little ears that may be around. Hey there, my name is Ellie Evangelista and I'm the host and creator of Mum in Development. I'm also one of two creators of Marcus, my son. In my journey of early motherhood, I just couldn't quite fathom how I was going to keep both my creative practice and my child alive. (laughs) Both things are so important to me and incredibly personal, seemingly a part of me, and yet both seem to continuously compete for the same parts of my brain and body. I know so many and I see so many working artists and mothers around me and I just thought, stuff it. I'll ask them how they're doing it. So on here, I don't ask all the usual mum podcast questions, but I hope you join me as I ask just one. How do you keep your creative practice and your child alive? Hi there. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Mum in Development. I've actually tried to record this intro for like 48 hours now. I have many um, blooper versions where Marcus is interrupting a little bit too much for my liking. I tried to keep him busy with breakfast the other day and then lunch and it just wasn't happening. He's fallen asleep on me and I thought I would start recording and every time I started recording, he would wake up. (laughs) And so I've had to wait till he's really asleep. And so I'm partly talking much more, more quietly than I would probably usually. And also you probably will hear him snoring. I am so excited to bring you this episode of Mum in Development because uh, I just feel like I'm going to come back to this episode a lot um, as I continue to think about this project, actually. This, this chat really makes me feel inspired and seen and, oh my gosh, I just need to talk really quickly so that we can get to hearing from today's guest because that's the gold bit. That's what you need to hear. Today I'm speaking to Hayley Collins and Hayley Collins is the powerhouse, the everything behind Howl Magazine. And I'm going to read uh, the bio of Howl Magazine, the Instagram bio to Howl. And it says, exploring the intersection of creativity and motherhood. And when I stumbled upon Hal's Instagram, I read this bio and thought, oh my goodness, me too. What is this publication? I need to get my hands on it. I feel like whoever is behind this act of genius and I will have so much in common and a lot to talk about. And I think we did. (laughs) You know, one of my favorite things about being a creative is if you did put 15 different people, um, in a room and gave them a topic and or something to make a response to, you would get 15 different responses, different processes, different approaches. And yeah, Hayley and I are are thinking about the same questions and we've had both very different outcomes, but also there are many shared similarities along the way. Yeah, this is an episode where I'm also going to say that the show notes are always there. And especially today, there is a link where you can purchase Howl. Issue one is out now. Haley talks about how issue two is definitely underway. And Haley and I have actually never met before. We've just uh, sent emails back and forth. This was the first time we've ever spoken. And actually, I really opened up about 
um, something I've never shared before about the size of our family. And, you know, we discussed that and acknowledged that that's a really taboo thing to kind of be talking about. But yeah, I was just, it was just a conversation that I loved having and I'm so excited. I've actually sent copies of Hal to a couple of friends of mine and they've both said just how magnificent is. I just need to stop talking so we can get to the episode. Here's Haley. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to hit record and we're just going to chat. Yeah. And I have my copy of Hal with me Uh and I, somebody else shared an Instagram post from Hal's Instagram and I, I don't even remember which one it was now, but I remember going, oh my gosh, what is this? magical person that sees me (laughs) and understands exactly what I'm feeling and then when I looked at the Instagram and I was like oh my gosh I feel like we are asking the same question Mm. but I also really love that I feel like the outcome that you are that you've kind of come to is I was like this is a so much more aesthetically pleasing beautifully written gorgeous (laughs) kind of like um luxurious version of Mm. yeah I guess the kind of um the kind of haphazard (laughs) (laughs) lo-fi this is what I can wrangle um recording on my iPhone version of it of this question but I love this publication. I love, I love, I love Hal so much. Thank you. And I feel like, I mean, this is just pretty much going to be time where I just tell you how great I think um, (laughs) this is. But I also really love, so in um, the reading list for issue one, Mm -hmm. I've only read one of the books, um, Rachel Cusk's A Life's Work. Yeah. And I read that kind of like early in postpartum because I went for this search to find books, basically, to be like, A, I just can't keep watching Netflix or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I need to just be doing something else. And where are these books? Like, where are the things that are actually talking about the way that I'm feeling, not in yeah. a like... I know motherhood is so rewarding and it's so great and I feel so fulfilled, but I'm actually really, like, angry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You um, want a reflection of your experience. Yeah, I went I went really searching for these books and, yeah, Rachel Cusks is one that I found. Um, and I just think writers and even in your letter, your opening letter in the magazine, I was just like writers have this really amazing way, I feel, of capturing this experience. Mm. I have yeah. nothing more to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose I am, so my background is in the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I left my career as a marketing manager in book publishing um, to make how. Mm-hmm. So I suppose I've had exposure to um, maybe a wider range of literature about this subject Mm. than lots of other people because I was working in that world. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, you know, I I kind of mentioned in in my opening letter in in the magazine that a lot of the threads that kind of came together that resulted in me deciding to create how were sort of, um, you know, books or or articles or even people and their thoughts that I came across by virtue of, of the industry I was working in. Mm. Um, so I read Rachel Cusk. I think I had had my son when I when I read that book too. I don't think I was one of, you know, by any means one of the earliest people to have read it. Mm. Um, but there were, you know, other things that I was reading alongside um, the literature I could find about the experience of, of new motherhood, um, like articles, you know, people speaking about um, the struggles that artists face, uh, you know, melding their identity as an artist with their identity as a, as a mother, 
um, and how that's that's not just a personal struggle, that's a struggle in terms of how the industry recognises mm. and, and rewards or even punishes um, people, mm. you know, who, who decide either way. So I, I had a lot of food for thought and, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I had a, a full year of maternity leave um, I mean, for some people that probably sounds awful. I guess it depends on that. For me, it was fortunate. I, I really, you know, I had my son right at the start of um, March 2020. So right oh, at the start wow. of um, it, it all. Yeah, wow. And lots of time in lockdown. My husband, uh, my partner was an essential worker. So mm-hmm. lots of time, just my son and I. And Again, time is that things. lovely or is that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I think it was... It was lovely, but it also, um, I, it was just a, a unique experience yeah. to, to, in which to become a parent, I think, um, mm. and, and isolating, obviously. So it sort of meant as we had, you know, summer and certain periods coming out of lockdown, I was really eager to have that full year um, of, of Matt leave so that I could just spend that time with him kind of doing some of the regular things that mm. that new mums do because um I missed out on a lot of that in the early days. Mm. So um then when I did go back to work and I was part-time I was really my brain was hungry for um hungry to think I suppose like mm. I hadn't kind of had the opportunity to expand myself in the way that I thought I would uh, in that first year. Mm. Um, It was a very insular first year. But then going back to working in publishing, um, I feel like my brain opened up and and suddenly the sense of kind of creative possibility alongside the experience of motherhood um, really recontextualized everything Mm. for me. And so suddenly I was like... You know, I'd read some of those books through the first year, but um, being exposed to other, being around other people or speaking with more people and, and working, um, you know, I was working for a, a publisher that publishes um, a lot of art books and, mm-hmm. and design books. So, um, yeah, the conversations that I, have, I was having were kind of in that realm. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, I just, I suppose it, it, it all just was percolating over that first year back at, at work um, as as to what I actually wanted to be doing and noticing these sort of struggles, not just to becoming a new parent, but um, an artist. someone who's, yeah, an artist, someone yeah. who's, who's kind of got this other purpose um, and the world doesn't really, I think, I think societally we have, we obviously accept women as caregivers very readily mm-hmm. and I think that there's been a lot of progress made in accepting working mums in, in a kind of traditional sense like it's so long as they're bringing in like a regular income because that's still seen as serving their family right that's valuable yeah, yeah sure. um yeah. but I think being a a mother who prioritizes her her artistic practice and her creativity and perhaps that isn't synonymous with earning a wage or a, a regular wage anyway, mm. um, I think that that's, that's viewed as inherently selfish and not um, compatible with like our societal idea of, of what a, a mother should be. Um, and so I, I just felt like there was a lot to explore there. Um, and yeah, I guess that was, that was sort of the origins of it. And, and yeah, as, sorry, going back to your original um, comments about about writers you know I I am a writer I I was not practicing much writing um over the last several years um I think kind of getting caught up in like a corporate environment and particularly in marketing where you're doing a lot of your writing is in the service of um other you know Mm -hmm. promoting other people's creations I suppose it doesn't didn't leave a lot of um uh, inspiration for my own yeah, yeah for my own thoughts um so yeah the, the like the space um of being in lockdown and and you know the um what would you call it like the sort of incidental um 
time that you would get with like, I, I was breastfeeding, so like breastfeeding time and nap time where you're like kind of your brain, I would get, I also had my son would only sleep on me yes, a lot of the time um, with naps. <laughs> so I, I had this like a lot of time where I was sort of like, well, I don't want to just sit on my phone. And sometimes I'd read a book, but sometimes I would find myself, like my brains would start like wandering and and I guess that was when I was like pulling a lot of those threads together that became how, but it's also when I've started writing again on my phone, like um, like tapping out little shitty Instagram poems in the dark. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> the notes app coming in handy. Yes, yeah. I, in your opening letter as well, I just think you, there's, you know, it's so beautiful, the things that you've written and it feels so clear and precise and considered and you talk about, you know, it being something as non, like just so non-essential, mm. this idea of it being, and something um, also from what, you know, this, what you were talking about just then about how we just accept women as the caregiver. Um, and I think, I feel like I spend so much time convincing people that both aspects of my life, motherhood and my creative practice, are worth it. <laughs> like it seems so this idea of it being non-essential that I should just be able to throw away my practice because mm. it doesn't earn money um, in the same way that, yeah, the system or the structure kind of wants us to or expects us to, that I should just be able to go, oh, yep, so um, I won't put my son into childcare because why should I? Because my work is flexible or <laughs> inconsistent. Um, but also feeling like I am doing the most important job in the world, which is raising a small person mm. and also going how, where is the space and the time and the room for me to be thinking about the questions I want to be answering as an artist when I have a small human attached to me yeah, for four hours a day. Absolutely. Um, I think this is where it kind of becomes, um, and I, this was, it hasn't been like my leading line with how, because I know that it's not something that resonates with everyone, but, you know, to me, this is a feminist issue. A thousand percent, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think we know that, that art, and, and creative practice historically has seemed to have been dominated by men. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is usually because they had somebody taking care of, you know, their kids or running things at home or even just assisting them um, to be able to live those very flexible creative lives. And we're not at a point in society where that is, uh, has been flipped, like where that is as accessible to to other genders, mm. um, and I, I don't necessarily have an answer for how that could could work. But I also think, why shouldn't it work? <laughs> um, and this is what and, makes me angry. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's also something that deserves to be spoken about, right? Like it's it's ridiculous, and it should make us angry. Um, and you know, it doesn't seem like a priority because people we are always going to have art because men are in a position to create it. Yeah. Or or even if you take gender out of it, the privileged in our society are in a position to create it because it's now it's you know it's not always men, but it is people who have the means to be able to outsource all the other things that get in the way of of creating their art. Yeah. And that leads to a very lopsided um uh view of, of what art is because you're only capturing such a, a narrow experience. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that's something that we should should be getting mad about because people aren't going to stop consuming art. Art's not going to stop being made. It's just going to continue to be, you know, limited, like a limited perspective mm. that that is presented. Um, and also, I, I also, speaking about this reminds me of when we were in lockdown and it was kind of the, the arts and the creative industries that were being stripped of their funding. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it, but, but also when we're in lockdown, 
like the arts were the thing that kind of kept us all going, right? Like we were mm. all watching our favourite shows and reading our favourite books. Yeah. Um, getting into, lots of people were kind of getting into like arts and crafts for themselves. Like um, mm-hmm. lots of people were trying their hand at ceramics mm-hmm. and um, embroidery and all these things. I'm a knitter before pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I'm a pre-pandemic so then, knitter, but then, yes, I was like, okay, when you all give up knitting you can send me all your unused bales of yarn. (laughs) I will take them. Yeah. Exactly. So it's sort of, as as mothers, you were sort of, and I'll say it's societally because like I don't think that most of the time, I don't think it's like intentional that any single person would make someone feel that their practice isn't important. But Mm. it's definitely the message we get that it's not what we should be focusing on. Um, But like, yeah, to just take mothers out of the equation and kind of keep them in their place of only caregiving, it's aggravating. You're missing out. Yeah, it's aggravating. You're missing out on this like very valuable perspective. Yeah. I similarly, I'm like, I don't know what the solve is. Like mm. I, and maybe it is just things like writing about it and talking about it and this kind of, um, this maybe hope that I hold on to, like I know unfortunately change takes a lot of time and it takes people being brave enough, right? Like there is also this kind of, um, you know, like sometimes I guess this is also a generational and perhaps a cultural thing, but sometimes like, you know, my mum was with us um, last week and I just sighed. I was like, ah about something and she was like oh what's tough and I was like you know sometimes just everything (laughs) yeah um and this kind of like um now because of our access to maybe social media or the way that we can connect or the way that um I don't really know what I'm saying but now that there is more I guess what I'm saying is like sometimes I feel like in my hesitation to start these conversations, I was like, but actually I have nothing to lose. Like Mm. I've just got nothing to lose by going, you know what, this is really hard, both of these things. Yeah. And perhaps there hasn't been because of systems that exist, the space or time or whatever, resources even, to have this kind of chat. But I don't, yeah, I don't know what the solve is. And I I don't, yeah, it it really aggravates me, basically. (laughs) I think I know what you're trying to say. I think in terms of social media, one of the blessings of it, I suppose, is um, we have access to the experience of of so many Mm. other people. And so now we do have this external validation that what we're going through is kind of, it's not just us. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and the bravery that I think you're speaking of and the generational thing is like, there's this perception that um, like, like complaining, like why, like don't complain. Like, and you know, that caveat of like, oh, but I love my children. Like I love my children, but da, 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 like having to preface um, Loving your them. complaints with your with all the great things um, because you're meant to be constantly grateful, mm. um, and I and I think that social media and seeing you know other people sharing their struggles has has given us this validation that it it's actually hard. yeah like that it is a struggle yeah um, and it can be difficult and it's okay to complain about it because it's not just us actually and even if it was just us like we who says we can't complain? Um, so I think knowing that there's others out there who do feel the same way about, yeah, the difficulties of mothering or trying to maintain a, a, an art practice, it, it, that's what gives courage mm. um, to to speak, yeah, to speak a little bit. And also oh, coming back to this being a feminist issue and a kind of, capitalism patriarchal Mm. thing as well it's like the thing about women's work is that it does happen in the total opposite way to what is seen like it is much slower partly because Mm. you know at some point women may have children and be at home and but also there's the approach is not this kind of like fast rapid immediate 
um, that it sometimes is like that, that there is sometimes a more gentle, longer, I'm, I'm trying to think of, um, you know, speaking of knitting actually, and mm. I've done some, I've, I had like this knitting project on mine actually. And I looked into the protest of, uh, the history of needlework in protest and how, yeah women would use that um, because that was the only kind of means they had and it was this idea of what is private and in the home being a force for change as well, ultimately, that we do at the end of the day rely on so much of this unseen work and kind of this idea of making it seen or public or exposed also feels very um, radical sometimes. Absolutely. Um, interestingly, the, the protests through needlework is something I'm going to be investigating an issue to oh, wow. <laughs> So it's funny that you brought that up. Um, but I, I, I agree. And that's sort of uh, something that I say with Hal is that the reason that one of the reasons Hal exists is in, is in the insistence that the experience of mothering should be woven through like art and design and um, literature and, and and our, our culture generally, because I think that it's been something that has often been hidden away um, in in the home and kept in this sort of little box, and and that has been done in many ways. That has been done intentionally um, mm. at certain points in history as well. That's something that has been done, um, you know, to to at a governmental level to for example, after the world wars, Mm. getting women back out of the workplace so men could get their jobs back. So then there would be these campaigns that sort of um, revolved around women's validity being, like the the home being their space where they could have the most impact. Um, It's it's a perception that has been intentionally shaped in our culture. And that's not to say that it's not true um, because... Obviously, at the moment, it is mostly women and mothers who are staying home and being the primary caregivers. But it's it's also not like an innate biological thing. That's mm. it's it's something that has been decided for um, sure. Time and again, mm. and encouraged. And I don't mean encouraged in perhaps a good way. Mm. I mean yes, oh, because it, it benefits those yeah. in power to keep women out of the way. Yeah, um, you know if. And it sounds very conspiracy theorist, like, but but it's it's very simple. It's all very like it's just history. Like it's mm. all it's all there. Mm. Um, you know, it it benefits again. And using the the wartime example, you know, it benefited society at that point for women to take over those jobs so that things could keep ticking along, and money could keep being made. And then men came back, and things were going to collapse. So they needed, you know. They needed the women out of those jobs. Like th- there was a definite purpose for it. And so it was encouraged. And men, again, maybe not nefariously, mm. but th- it would have been encouraged by by loved ones as well because that it, it was seen as restoring the natural order. Yeah. Oh, it's a... Um, and then the thing, right, is that in... Our best in in we have decided then to as our job do something that doesn't even fit the workplace mold. Mm, yeah. <laughs> On top of that, that yeah. our return to the workforce isn't you know mine as an example isn't it okay from Monday to Friday I work the hours and I know that's what I'm going to be doing in a, in a few months' time, in a year's time. Like I was just thinking this morning, I was like, I have no idea what 2024 looks like for me next year. No clue. Um, And so then that return to work and kind of the juggle of what both experiences are. And I always come back to this uh, that I'm like, I know that the way I parent is so much influenced by my life as an artist, as an art maker, my Mm. creative lifestyle. Um, And that so much lends itself to um, 
I guess, the kind of way I approach parenthood. I'm like, nothing's ever the same. If something doesn't stick, that's okay. You know, I'm a big fan of experimenting. Um, But then in the kind of real practical sense, there's just this tension, this kind of forever tension. And, you know, at my mum's group, I remember someone asking me, you know, are you going to return to work? And I was like, but I've kind of been working this whole time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like my brain, I've been waiting for these ideas. I've been watching these things, thinking of like, I'm waiting for this idea to fly past that I can grab onto. I'm searching for inspiration in everything. And I know that that doesn't seem like work. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're, like, what you're talking about. Yeah, but I, I've been working this whole time. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, um, and I, I mean, I guess I've sort of had the experience of both worlds because I did go back to uh, a corporate sort of job, um, even though it was in a creative industry. So I, I had that initial return to work. But then when I when I left that role, um, last year to start the magazine the magazine didn't start kind of coming together in earnest until um probably like oh September and I had left the job in January yeah um but I was working that whole time (laughs) like (laughs) like you're saying like I had to like you know do you know look outwards and then do research and then look inward, take that all inwards and have it percolate and mm. um, shape those ideas into something. And there's, there is so much that goes into creative work that, um, and, and yeah, this is where in terms of childcare, like my son goes to, to childcare, to a childcare centre. Um, he does not like going mm. and it's been a really tough, it continues to be a really tough decision um, mm. as the one that also drops him off. Like I I am dealing with that decision firsthand. Every um, time. Every drop off mm. of what I'm putting him through. Um, and there's been, you know, days, I mean, there have been a couple of times where I've been like, yeah, fine, you can stay home today because the work that I needed to do was not like work with my hands. It mm. was work with my brain um Mm. and so I can can, like sort of convince myself that it wasn't necessary Mm. um but yeah it's it's also it is really also hard to help others understand that oh you know what have you gone on for work today and you sort of like everything do some emails (laughs) like you have to make it you feel like you have to make it sound like a certain idea of work in order for it to be work but actually a lot of the time the work that I'm doing might not be what someone else would consider working. Like that it all goes towards the final product. Completely. I'm like, if I decide to go outside and just look at a tree for an hour, yeah, it that to me is me, you know, yeah, marinating an idea, like yeah. thinking something through. And so absolutely it's like you. I also feel this need to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got to send emails. And sometimes you do, right? Like sometimes yeah. you do. But also it's like, no, I, I actually want to flip through pages of a magazine to yeah. <laughs> not just because but because you just never know when that idea might come or that thing might land or you might see uh, a piece of something that then inspires 40 million ideas. I'm just like, no, I've been, I've been working this whole time. And again, coming back to this kind of weird intersection that is like creative practice and motherhood, yeah, that kind of space to allow that to happen. In Mm -hmm. my early days, I was just like, how do people do this when you're not sleeping? When you're not, um, let's like, I'm not going to pretend like I was the most nourished, nutritious person in the past. (laughs) You know, like many other people, I lived off coffee and banana bread. And um, that it's, it's really hard. And like, I guess I'm curious how being a bi-annual publication, mm. I'm like, because my mind goes practically, I see why it would need to be a biannual publication mm. because of this marinating ideas. Again, like even for me just to have a conversation with another mother takes, you know, 
I think you and I have maybe been emailing for a month. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And this is what I mean by that kind of like slower or gentle approach that feels kind of anti-capitalist where we're like, no, I am going to put out just two magazines a year. Yes. Yeah. It was really important to me coming from a marketing background that I wasn't just pushing more consumerism. Like obviously it's a product and it's a product made out of paper, which comes from trees. Like there's, there's like already things about the perception of a magazine that are kind of not um, directly lined up with, with my values, Mm -hmm. but I am also like a lifelong lover of print. And so how was always going to be a print publication. Um, but yes, it, it was very intentional to make it biannual. Um, as it is, the second issue is probably going to be coming out a little more than six months after the first. It might end up being like seven or eight months just because, just because. The first, <laughs> crea- the creating the first one took so much out of me. Like yeah. I was wearing, I am wearing all the hats mm-hmm. um, and some of those roles come more naturally to me than others. Mm. Um, so it, and, and this is also not the first magazine I've ever created. I, I had a different magazine 10 years ago and I had a business partner for that. So I already knew how big of an undertaking it was. Um, but I actually really underestimated like how much harder it is doing it by yourself. Mm. Um, so I'm really glad that I allowed myself the space and time and didn't set the expectation of, you know, a quarterly magazine um, because I'm already at the three-month mark. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first one's been released and I can't, I'm only just actually I starting to action the, the ideas that I had had about it, the, the next issue. Mm. Um, so part of it was, yeah, not wanting to set myself up for like a burnout that I cannot come back from mm. and, Part of it was not wanting to feed into the constant churn. The, like that's also the reason that I've chosen to not make it digital and not do at this stage anything like an online journal um, component of how because I think consumerism, n- not just in a, a sense of like capitalism and and like products, but um, just like constantly consuming content. Yeah, everywhere. Um, I part I wanted to create how so we could we as mothers could step away from our phones for a minute because often it's the easy go-to when we need a reprieve. Mm. Um, and I also think there's so many people who are already creating great, great online content in the sort of mothering and creativity space. So I didn't think it was really necessary for me to make more of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessary to make more of something there's already a lot of, but um, the magazine felt necessary because there just actually isn't anything like it, um, especially not in Australia. So, Yeah, it's beautiful. I've been flicking through it um, as you've been talking and it truly is just like it's stunning and I also see the amount of work that when you're talking about all of the hats and I can imagine the kind of labour of absolute love that this Mm. publication is Um, and it's so truly it's like this stunningly aesthetic feels so good in my hands feels like luxury it feels like it feels luxurious and I truly feel like you know everything's marketed as this kind of make you feel good in postpartum Mm. and how makes me feel that I'm like this I feel seen and I feel expensive when I hold it (laughs) yeah and I think that's where the um the publishing industry um aspect of me comes out because there's sort of this um phrase like book as object um you know when I was working for a pub publishers that I worked for that have produced kind of coffee table books um Mm. and it's usually you want it to be something that you're happy to have on your coffee table Mm. like literally not just a coffee table book that gets shoved in the bookcase um so as much as possible I sort of wanted to replicate that with the magazine have it be something that people were um proud and happy to have on display in their homes. Yeah, it's it, it. You've definitely achieved that. I think you've nailed it. It's beautiful. Thank um, you. And also, I was just thinking as you were talking that the, you know about your desire to make it biannual, and sometimes, like, what month is that in the year? It's a bit of flux, but it will come out. You know, um, 
but when you make a podcast, some of the platforms ask you how often you'll be releasing an episode. Mm. And I I just made it up. I think. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really Until hard. you're actually doing it. Like it's, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, it was like some of them were, you know, your options were daily, twice a week, updated every week or a month. And I think actually Apple Podcasts that this says there'll be one every two weeks and this um, one, two every week actually. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's definitely not the case because no. um but yeah, I'm also going to come back to something you said about the kind of sustainability of your own ability. That's a bad sentence, but your ability to kind of do how in a long term, how this really took it out of you, yeah. this first publication. And so you are being really intentional about how you do this because, you know, you're committed to how I would imagine, like, you know, this is a publication you love and a project you love, but then also long-term something I've thought about is like I guess I'm still in the first year of being a mom that when I think hang on I also have to mother for a really long time Mm. and keep trying to be an artist for a really long time yeah (laughs) that kind of endurance part of the practice what do you think about the long term because I feel sometimes I'm so short-sighted Mm. that I'm like, oh, I, I can only really think about up until Friday at the most. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yes, a bit of both for me. I think um, I'm kind of an eternal um, optimist or even idealist. Mm. So um, I kind of decide to do something and I, I do definitely do my research, my due diligence but I'm also like it'll work out um so for how like in terms of sustainability that comes from a time and resources perspective but it's also a huge um money issue because the first issue was paid for with my personal and part of our family savings yeah um print costs are extremely expensive yeah. um particularly if you're trying to produce like a 160 page luxurious magazine <laughs> yeah um and so for the second issue I kind of need to make sure that the first issue can fund the second issue um mm-hmm. which means like keeping up enough of the hustle which is not the part that comes naturally to me but like keeping that hustle going of selling Mm. um and then like you know ensuring that I source enough advertising for the second issue to like supplement so that we can print the next issue Mm. so it's I'm not drawing any sort of wage from the magazine at this stage um and I don't envision that being possible like unless or even until we can get to like the third or fourth um, issue. issue. Mm. So it's, it was, there was a long-term plan in mind. Like I, and I was very realistic about how slow it, it is growing a print publication um, and especially wanting to commit to the value of not just like putting unnecessary like stuff out into the world. Like mm. I, I'm very mindful of if I decide to sell um, any other product through how it has to be something that I really believe in. For and sure. again, that isn't just like more of what's stuff. already out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that sustainability as- aspect to it. Um is like the financial sustainability. But yeah, also in terms of juggling it alongside mothering, I guess my son is three. Um, He goes to childcare. We've got like kinder and then school on the horizon. So um, I feel like I was sort of quite aware of that. And I've been set like set up in a way that allows me to do this for now Mm. um but I think there's also something to be said for like the intentional family planning because um (laughs) our plan has kind of been to have only one child Mm. um and that's like that's a resourcing decision too in some ways like I there's I, I speak about um 
you know, the magazine sort of covers like maternal like rage. And I've spoken before about how that's something that at times I've struggled with just purely from, yeah, getting burnt out. Um, Mm. And so we've sort of decided for now that like the way for me to be the best kind of me I can be for our family and for myself um, is to only be mothering one child. Mm. And that's a whole other thing that's, you know, very personal choice and everyone's capacity is different and, you know, what everyone dreams for their life is different. But, um, yeah, absolutely for me, I I can't imagine and I have seen it happen multiple times when someone goes from being the mother of, you know, when an artist goes from being the mother of one child to the mother of two or more, mm. um, the ability to maintain a creative practice often does have to be put on hold or like dramatically um, changes. Mm. So, yeah, I'm just very conscious of my own limitations. (laughs) You know what? I've never, I've never said this um, out loud, especially on the podcast, but my partner and I have this conversation all the time where I've Mm. said, I actually don't know if I could do this again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And because this I actually had another guest say it when um she has one child and she mentions that when she had her baby her son she said you know oh it's unfortunate that she I'm about to butcher what she said but basically like um you know I was already in love with something else which was my practice Mm. and I feel you know, that for me to be able to do both things that I really love to the to the, the closest bit that I want to be able to do it yeah. also means that right now I, and they, oh my gosh, I'm so conscious that these may be like famous last words, but. Exactly. That- <laughs> yeah, no, always with like, things can always change, right? Things but, can always change. The way you're at now. Yeah. Like and even in the in the real depths of um really early postpartum, like I mean, like in the in the very, very early weeks, even just me saying to myself, I'll only do this once helped mm. me got through like to the next day. Yeah. Going, I just I'll never have to relive this day ever again or have yeah. a a six-week-old, but I'm so conscious that these are such famous last words and who knows what the future holds. But Exactly. And we we say that too. Like I, I definitely, there were periods of like after having my son where I, I went through like months at a time being like, I really do want another baby. And, and I, I, that's what I mean. It's such a personal and circumstantial thing. And for some people, it's a heart decision and for some people it's a head decision. And mm. so I think like for me at the moment, it needs to be a head decision mm. um, if I want to be able to, yeah, give myself to something other than mothering. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess coming back to like societal perceptions of that, like that, you know, that can be seen as as selfish and um and I, know, I think how actually Kevin was recently talking about this, how like we also have like, yeah, we have a real issue with selfish women, yeah. <laughs> particularly self, like selfish mothers as it's like a negative thing, but it's never stopped. It's never stopped men before. No. Um, so I'm kind of like, yeah, it, maybe it is selfish in some ways, but I want to be able to look back um, on my life with my family, probably of three, um, and for for us all to feel proud of me, yeah. And I feel like that this decision is something that could lead to that. Um, whereas, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's 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 very personal. And as you said, like famous last words. Who who knows? Like we're always there's things that could always change. But um. Yeah, for now it's like a very intentional decision that will allow um, not just me, my partner as well, to kind of have the energy to be really present with our son and present in our careers that we care a lot about as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I often, like I'm 
proud to be a selfish woman, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if if someone was to, I'd be like, yeah, well, absolutely, you're right. Does anyone say that about, you know, my partner? Because he goes to work every day and um, no one's going, oh, that's pretty selfish of you. But, um, yeah, I, it, it, yeah, I've always talked about dancing as the love of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, maybe that is really not disillusioned of me, but maybe it's a bit like rose colored glasses, but it is this thing that I love. And, um, yeah, for me to do some sort of version of that, where I feel like I could give what I want to my son as well. And also to the other really big part of me, the maker, the artist, the performer, just, yeah, yeah. And it feels like a really radical thing to talk about. I often, you know, when people bring up the idea of a another child or whatever, I'm like, oh, how do I tell them that I think it's just going to be one, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Because it's seen, it's still, yeah, still a bit of a taboo thing to say, but that's like a, an intentional decision. Yeah, it does feel really taboo. I'm going to ask you the question of the podcast, Haley. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Haley Collins, how do you keep both your creative practice and your child alive? <laughs> um, my first instinct was to say, like, poorly, <laughs> but that's a joke. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I have to separate them. Mm. Um, I am not uh, naturally kind of. I think in in my parenting, I'm I, I, I'm a quite a gentle parent, and I have a great connection with my son. But I think I'm, I'm also I like a little bit of um, predictability, and like I'm a bit of a homebody, and I have sort of little habits and and routines and my son is that way too like we like we like we like things just so Mm. um which is not how I approach my creative practice um my practice both with writing and with creating how is quite fluid so I suppose I keep them alive by having them inform one another without necessarily directly overlapping um (laughs) (laughs) but I also really this is sort of a quick sidebar from answering that question I've noticed through um, the many conversations I've had with creative mothers um, over the last 12 months and more that um, it can often make a really big difference as to like how big of a part of someone's life their creative practice was prior to becoming a mother as to have it how it affects their motherhood because as I said I was quite cut off from my own creative practice Mm. um in the years leading up to having my son so I sort of got to develop myself as a creative anew um Mm. and that happened alongside developing myself as a mother Mm. whereas I think if your creative practice is like a huge part of your identity pre-motherhood that maybe that then lends itself to like an unavoidable melding of the two because you don't really know how to be anything other than that creative person Mm. I am so for me it's a separate thing but I can see how for you like it would be a more um fluid thing I'm definitely unavoidably melded (laughs) (laughs) I was like I I I mean I'm gonna let you go back to the question but yeah as you were saying that I was like oh my gosh separating them I just never would have um like I just see them as kind of so entangled Mm. whether that's to my detriment or to the opposite of whatever that is but yeah yeah anyway I'll let you get back to how do you how do you keep both alive separately yeah they (laughs) so they inform one another like I I think and you know there's no there's no right way there's no one Mm. way there's so many ways um to do it but you know I will be playing with my son and there'll be a moment that occurs that suddenly this happened the other day actually we were playing and and something that he did just like 
set off this brain spark about some, an idea for um, an image I would like to have for how. And so I quickly went and wrote that down so I didn't forget it. And then I went back to playing with him. Um, but I, I sort of need that space. I think I'm, I kind of get sensory overwhelmed quite easily. So I think I need that sort of physical and mental space um, from my very high energy small person mm. um, in order to have any sort of creative practice. And in some ways that's like been the nature of it um, from the beginning because, as I said, a lot of the um, times I I had when I began writing or thinking of, of the concept of how came when I was like breastfeeding or when he was napping on me. So he was there but he was sort of, not there <laughs> you know he was he Asleep. was physically there but he like I I was not occupied with like the active task of parenting him mothering him yeah um I wasn't like having to think about what I was doing um I yeah I find I've got limited capacity for you know my attention and and so I do need to sort of have my time for for him and then um you know that yeah they do kind of overlap obviously at times but but then I sort of keep my time for for writing and creating um for when I've got some sort of quiet and and physical space Mm. definitely not poorly (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that was that was a joke because I can't like I, I can't imagine no, I, I imagine it would be poorly if I tried to integrate the two. I, I don't think that I'm someone who could who could manage them alongside each other um, well. <laughs> yeah, I love this so much because it is so like you know, as we know, there are there's no right or wrong. There are a thousand ways, more than a thousand ways to to do this juggle to do both things, and it's just so like it always catches me off guard whenever somebody answers that question in a way that I've just never thought of. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's like I, I I think that it is sort of an unpopular answer because I think our perception of, you know, there's always, there's preconceived ideas about everything, right? But I think mm. that within the sort of creativity and motherhood space, it, it's sort of like you're meant to say that you're easy breezy, like, mm. and and I'm actually not. <laughs> so uh, it is, it's sort of like it is. I know that it's a weird answer to give because really, like, a creative person is sort of meant to be like, yeah, I'm, you know, I go with the flow, and I like, mm. you know, there's there's a lot of connotations that come with self identifying as creative when you're totally. a mother. So I, in many ways, I actually do sit outside of that because I need structure I need to yeah give myself space I can't I I can derive so much inspiration from chaos but I can't create within chaos um I do my best creating when there is yeah quiet and um not necessarily an orderly environment but definitely there has to be that sense of space um and I think that that's why for so many years I was cut off from being able to create because I was working mm. busy jobs and commuting and like filling my head and my time. And it was only when I was forced because of motherhood and lockdowns to have that space again mm. that I was able to tap back into that side of myself. I mean, and it also sounds like from what you're talking about in how and what you're saying now is that there's such a key thing to your practice is intention intentionality like being mm-hmm. really intentional with yeah. your time your decisions um so yeah and it, it's serving you well that you're like you know this is I need that space and I'm being really f- like um yeah intentional with how I'm spending this time or um, how I'm dividing these two things um, to, for them to exist and for you to exist in the way that you want to. Um, so I, I, I love that so much because I feel like 
sometimes I feel like they're so enmeshed in me that I'm like, I wish I could do exactly what you're saying. And it feels like little baby steps where I'm like, um, okay, I have two hours away from my son and this is (laughs) where, you know, this is how I'm spending it. Um, because yeah, back in, like I've done many episodes as well where he has been asleep on me and I just kind of like jiggle my way through a conversation and then to then decide and go, actually, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. This is Mm. not helping me at all. Um, So, yeah, it even just sounds like, yeah, being really intentional and consciously deciding, um, yeah, is just so also inherent um, in the way that you do both. Yeah, exactly. I think, as as I said, it's just like there's no one way. And that's by creating how I was sort of hoping to draw out the many ways so Mm. that um, people who don't maybe see themselves in the examples that they already have can have other examples of what it means to be a creative mother um, or a mother and and a creative and and feel, yeah, a bit of courage to like, to pursue what it is they care about outside of mothering. Um, because I certainly didn't grow up in a household where, I mean, there was no no negativity towards creative practice, but like it wasn't a focus of my household. I didn't grow up with hugely artistic parents. Like my mum, my mum's definitely got artistic sensibilities, but, you know, there was, I didn't know anyone who identified as an artist growing mm-hmm. up. Um, and yeah, I didn't have examples like that set for me. And um, I always gravitated towards creative subjects and practices as a child. And that was encouraged, but also it was sort of the undercurrent was like, that's not a real job. Mm. Um, So yeah, that's just like the circumstances. And I think lots of people grow up with similar upbringings to that or even upbringings where creativity is actively, um, you know, it's discouraged. As, yeah, so, I was absolutely going to say discouraged or seen as a like, um, it's just, it is for play. It's just yes. fun. Yeah, not not deep. <laughs> um, yeah, but like that's, meaning, yeah. Uh, it's, it doesn't make someone any less capable of creating art Completely, though, right? And I no. think that that's where we have to like address privilege because privilege can come in so many forms and there are privileges around um growing up in households that, you know, did really value creative and um, creativity and, and culture and, and that's a that's a type of privilege too. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone everyone is capable of creativity and, and of creating art. Like I just I think that there's so much there to be explored that like who has the right to say what is art or who's who has the right to say, you know, whose perspective is more valuable than somebody else's. Yeah. So good. I just feel like that's such the perfect way to end. Um, And I also actually, I'm going to read out loud what's on the very back page of the magazine, issue one, because I love it. How issue one, don't stop dreaming, we haven't, this is ours. A world where mothers are supported, encouraged, empowered, celebrated and remunerated to create as their full and complex selves. Help us spread our dream around. Tell your friends about us or make a new one by gifting them a copy of this magazine. And I've actually thought of a couple friends I can gift how to for Mother's Day, so I'm going to do that. Um, And I hope that... The people that listen to this also feel like they want to pick up a copy of issue one and or issue two (laughs) (laughs) because it really, it's phenomenal and I can't wait to be a long-time reader. Hayley and I actually kept talking for about another half an hour after I stopped recording and pretty much straight away we were like, oh, this would have been great to talk about (laughs) on the podcast. But maybe this was just, that was just a conversation for her and I to have. Um, But I just, 
love this episode. I I just am so thankful for Haley's time and actually all Haley, all of your work behind Towel. I've loved sending it to friends. I love my copy. I absolutely can't wait to purchase every issue that's to come whenever it comes. I really loved that we spoke about the pushback, that kind of gentle resistance that is that kind of anti-capitalist. No, I will not make a you know, a publication every week. I don't, you know, like I don't know when this next podcast is coming out. I've had it in my back pocket for nearly a week and it's just taken what it was. And I loved that. I loved our honesty. I loved our space for aggression. And that's what something I love about Hal is this real need to just use the voice um, because, yeah, I feel so often, you know, mothers are seen and not heard and, that was partly why I chose to make a podcast. I'm not, I, I always have a lot to say and kind of know where to put it. So that's, yeah, I've wanted to make sure we were seen and heard. And I am so thankful for other people having different outcomes of this and Hal is one of them. Thank you, Haley. I actually really do hope we get to meet one day. I think, um, yeah, I just think it would be great. So yes, please do head to the show notes, head to Hal's website and do grab a copy for yourself, for your friends, send them to people and just enjoy the luxury. It feels like luxury and you feel recognized and seen and angry. And I feel like that's welcome. So thank you again, Hayley. And of course, thank you so much for joining us. Like, subscribe, or give us a rating on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast on. But because motherhood and creative practice are both ultimately collaborative, I'd really love you to share this podcast or this episode with somebody who you think would enjoy it too. See you next time for another episode of Mum in Development.